There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase Today. Visit Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. No one's going to want to listen to anything I have to say while I'm eating pizza. People uh, leave Canada and people leave journalism. And uh, one of my favorite people left both. Catherine Burrell Jr. Uh, I, I met her when she was a CBC radio producer and she later wrote this book, a comic memoir called Corked. And then she moved to Hollywood. She went there to write television shows. She sold a couple of them. She's hoping they get made. She went to live with her boyfriend, another person I like a lot, another person who left Canada. His name's Graham Wagner, and uh, he was an improv comedy guy here. Over there, he was a writer for shows like The Office and Portlandia, and he's got other stuff coming. So I went down there recently, uh, hanging out with them at their place in Silver Lake, sleeping on their couch. Uh, I bought them a pizza and some wine at Trader Joe's, and, and, and we got into it. And I, I got all up in Catherine's business, and you're going to hear that in a minute. Catherine today, Graham later, uh, came home and got this cold. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have 
magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. FreshBooks.com is my exclusive sponsor. If you've been thinking about using FreshBooks for your invoicing, but you haven't gotten around to it, this is a really good time because the new year is coming and FreshBooks is really powerful come tax time. It's really easy to figure out how much you made and how much HST you collected. So when you're doing your 2014 taxes the next spring, you'll have everything on FreshBooks. Check it out. FreshBooks.com. Somehow I didn't know that you thought of yourself the way that that was like a, a, like a dark time or a, a miserable time. What do you mean? Like you're manic. So the fact that you worked like crazy just seemed to be a part of your personality. And the fact that you would like every now, every now and then break down. When you were with Metro Morning, I just thought like, oh, that's the wrong place for you. But, I mean, I loved Metro Morning. I, yeah. Well, I think that it takes a lot for me to, to care about something. And so, as much as, like, here's the thing. I moved around a lot when I was growing up. I've never had a sense of, like, I've never been patriotic for Canada. I've never invested emotionally in a city. So to, to be doing, so for my first job out of university, for it to be chase producing on, like, a local morning radio show, I was, like, interested in telling stories and interested in, like, being a journalist, but... I could never really get interested in like local stories because I kind of didn't have a sense of locale. Like I didn't care enough about the city that I was living right, in. Right, you weren't to... rooted in Toronto. No, like, no. I mean, you were totally. You were not somebody who's interested in municipal Toronto issues. No, or... I remember being like terrified when like you know there was a municipal election or, or something was happening on city council because like I, I felt like I didn't even know what a city councilor did. I, I was just like muddling my way through. I, I liked I liked human interest stories, but when it came to actually like what the city was doing in order to be a city, like in order to run functionally as a city, I didn't give a shit. Yeah. And the feel good multiculturally metro morning like this is Toronto shit did not seem like your kind of shit. Well it just felt like it felt forced. I mean I remember when we were like trying to figure out there was a moment at Metro morning where all of the producers were supposed to say like what cultural group they wanted to cover. Like we were all supposed to make a particular effort to, so everybody had to pick it, put it in hand and be like, like, a, yeah, I'll, like do the I'll do Sri Lanka. Who, who did was, you pick? 
I was like, I want the Jews. And they were like, that's not a cultural community. <laughs> I had just become friends with you. And I think I had gone to like your parents' house. And I was like, whoa, there's all these Jewish people in this part of Toronto. I want the Jews. They were like, the Jews are not a culture in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> and you were going to be the chronicler of the Jews in Toronto. I let me tell you. I the, the Shiksa <laughs> wanted to tell the Jewish story. I've seen their but people. was disallowed from doing that because uh, you guys apparently aren't a cultural no, group. You, you are until until you're successful enough that you're not. Right. And then you're so. And then when I met you there, you rapped. Oh right. I mean. Like on my first day at work at the CBC. I just did a little You bit. sort of followed me down the hall and rapped. I followed you down the hall rapping Young MC's Best of Move because you were the only other person who was like around my age and didn't seem like a total square. Yeah. And for some reason, like my misguided attempt to make you my friend was like, I'll just follow him down this hall while rapping Young MC's Best of Move and maybe he'll be interested in becoming my friend. It was guided. I guess it was guided. I mean, it worked. Yeah. You're here now 10 years later, so. No. <laughs> You seem completely ill-suited to being there, besides the fact that you liked Andy Barry and he liked you. Yeah. And the part of it that made sense was that it was this daily adrenaline-filled rush to get the show done, and then you wipe the site clean and start again. I absolutely related to that part. Like, the, the deadline, I mean, I remain a person who works very well with a firm and terrifying and irretrievable deadline and I like that aspect of it but when it came to municipal politics or the thing that's going to get the 715 slot on Metro Morning which is like the big news slot I felt like you know completely out of my element most yeah. of, most of the time maybe because I wasn't like but, possibly because I wasn't smart enough like or socially conscientious you're, you're not like a community person you know like yeah. people can like get excited about what the garbage cans in Toronto are made of mm-hmm. and other people can't and they're both right, right you know yeah um, it was also a shop that was like like propriety and everybody like keeping like knowing their place and acting in a certain way was important to everyone but you and you seem to have this sort of saving grace of like you were kind of tone deaf to office politics mm-hmm. but you were pretty damn good at your job I mean, I didn't feel like I was good at my job because I felt like a lot of the feedback that I was getting was that I was tone deaf to office politics. But I knew I always knew that I at least was a hard worker and that I was a good writer. I knew that I was a good writer. Yeah. I knew that I was a hard worker and I knew that I had at least enough intro, like a, a general curiosity, which is like what I loved the most about Andy Barry was that when I was working with him, you know, at that point he was in his early 60s. That man had an unwavering curiosity about everything. And like that for me, that's the only way that you can become and remain an interesting person is to be interested. And so I knew I had enough of like an interest in things to was, be okay at my job. That was sort of your killer app was like as a chase producer, you were aggressive in a way that is uncommon in public radio. Right. Like, if you wanted somebody on the show, you would, like... You were, you were in people's face in a way that most people at CBC are not. But I was also, like... I was, like, the one person who, you know, was on a week-to-week contract. So if I didn't perform... Right. ...properly, they could be like, Sorry, kid. Your time's up. Now go be in a garbage can for the rest of your life. Because there is, you know, like, where else do you go? If you're at, like, local... If you want to be a journalist, which I did at that point, where else are you going to go... To do, and I and I loved radio, like I love radio. Yeah. So I was like, well, where else am I going to go if it's not this? So I was hustling 
so hard because if I didn't make my shot with Metro Morning at that point, you know, having only been a couple of years out of school, like where else was I going to go? So I was, ter- I mean, I was motivated by fear primarily. Yeah, but we put ourselves in the relationships that we seek and mm-hmm. that kind of idea that CBC was a boyfriend who could dump you at any moment was something mm-hmm. that was kind of like in a weird S&M lock step with like you're with my dating like, history. No, it's like, with like I think you kind of like want the world to be judging you and finding you to be like you know wor- Fa- yeah. worthy or not. Or, yeah, uh, you know, and and not get too comfortable on like a, a weekly basis or something. It's your aversion to getting married. You know, you're like kind of right. Like, like I want you to be with me because every day you choose me, not because we've entered into a you contract. Don't, you want to enter a three year contract? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to. I want to. Pretty one for one. Trend. I want a day to day contract with you. Yeah. I want every day for you to be like, <laughs> see you later, kid. I fire you. I yeah. fire you any week. But yeah. I know, yeah. You keep bringing me these stories. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One more week, kiddo. <laughs> this was my fear when I was going contract to contract was that it's actually a good system for getting work out of people. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. for all my moaning and bitching about how this is just like such unfair labor practice, they did keep me on my toes, you know? And I was like, I always wanted to please them because every three months, and they would forget. Like, I would be like, don't they realize my contract's coming up? And it would be like two days beforehand. And I would, I would be like, they haven't said anything, so maybe they don't want me back. And in fact, they just hadn't even considered it until. Oh my god, it was, it was like, always eleventh hour stuff. That was around the point, Burrell, where you were just having like regular breakdowns, unhappy with like interpersonal stuff, like all like office dynamics. Right. Stuff. I mean, I was like, I got a shot to help create, you know, a, a national radio show, which which ended up happening, which was Q. And I was actually, I had just finished a book proposal too. So like, basically, when I got you're omitting hired, my central role in this, where I was like, you should go do this. You, sh- you should like clear. It was so clear. Like, why are you doing news? Are you stuff? my Are you my maker? Oh, you're the one who was like, go do the arts and culture program on CBC Radio. It's in, it's it's possible you might have done that without me urging you to. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, re- I remember having full agency, but if you were, if you want to call yourself my maker, and given that I have moment, no recollection of actually like making introductions or suggesting, you know, I do and remember, that happened independently of me entirely. It's possible. I remember that- crying outside of my front door. You had, you had, we'd either like biked home from the CBC one day and it was cold. I think it was November. It was 2006. And I had like just broken up with somebody and I, and I was doing a big sort of like life reassessment. And I remember being outside of my house with you and I was crying about, you know, whatever one cries about when one is 26, but like mainly the fact that like maybe I was kind of on the right path, but not quite on it and feeling a sense of existential dread or whatever. And you were like, you're like, change it. Like you have an opportunity to change this. And then either around that time or exactly at that time, there was the opportunity to help develop you know, what ended up becoming Q. There was no great insight into this. Like you were, I was just crying all the time. You were interested in comedy and indie rock scene stuff. And you were not interested in Metro morning topics. I'm like, why are you at that show and not at that, you know? So if there was like a cultural show, it seemed like the right, a better place for you. For sure. Which like, you know, and, and I think that what ended up happening was as, as that, as that show was being developed, I was simultaneously finishing up a, a, a book proposal and, uh, you know, I thought that because I had been, I'd basically been a bureaucrat right out of college, you know, working for the public broadcaster and, and, you know, getting sort of high on daily deadlines and having people judge me and potentially throw me in the garbage at the end of every day. And I, I felt, I'm not know, sure that that meets the description of a bureaucrat vivified by that. Oh yeah, I guess, I guess it doesn't. I don't know. Yeah, like grandma always calls me a bureaucrat because I worked for the CBC for so long. Um, so <laughs> I was, I imagine myself in like a brown suit and like Joe versus the volcano. I just come from like a scene. There's, there's no 
comparable level of safety that you had when you're in Toronto. You were like, I've got a salary. I'm making this. Well, money. when I met you, I had a salary and sure. a dental plan, and like I was getting my head shrunk every week, and that Ooh. was covered, and that was really nice, and all that sort of thing. I the realization was dawning on me that I was like, oh, maybe instead of asking or being the person who you know writes the scripts that have the questions that a host will ask, like maybe I want to be the person who will eventually be interviewed. With Q. Yeah, that piece of pizza you just swallowed is going to be the most disgusting part of the podcast. I'm right in everyone's ear right now with that <laughs> piece disgusting. of... It's the least Should we tell it's, it's pepperoni, mushroom, green pepper from a... But why, why, green, like, why green pepper? Green pepper Oh, that's be... great. That's all Graham's doing. Graham's green been trying to like a, sell me on green pepper. It's a very um, underrated vegetable. Um, I mean, yeah. it basically is the taste of Betty Crocker, if you think about it. Like, it's an 80s vegetable. I have I, I have Graham's never heard parents, anybody defend green pepper. Graham's parents oh. owned the northernmost taco stand in North America in the eighties, Taco Time in Fort McMurray, Alberta, and I feel like a lot of your mm-hmm. formative food experience was wrapped up in like a taco chain mm-hmm. in the eighties in Fort McMurray. Is Taco Time in Edmonton and Calgary as well? I, think yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah it's, in, okay. it's in California too. I went to a Taco Time. No. Yeah, where? Where, where did I? There might be something oh, yeah, called Taco Time. No, but. I went to a Taco Time in uh, Sandy, Oregon, when I was mm-hmm. at that mm-hmm. wedding. Yeah, it exists. It Can I have that crust? Yeah, you can have that crust. Great. Green pepper is garbage. Yeah, I think it's garbage too. For me, I mean, it's most flavors are about nostalgia, and I think green pepper is clearly nostalgic. Yeah, you know, um, it's okay. You're the taco heir of Alberta. Is no, that- no, no. They sold that taco stand in '97. Uh, so I, I've got no, uh, there's no taco left. I've just got a distant memory, uh, you know, that of like being associated with '90s style, right? Mexican food, no white people making Mexican food. And now you're in LA, so like, are you mm. super bored by the tacos here? Generally, you know, I, I'm, I'm by the amazing rainbow of delicious tacos. Yeah, yeah, I'm on just, every uh, street corner for these like pennies. flour tortillas, or you know, I, I, I kind of want the uh, old El Paso crust taco shells. You know, I, I'm I'm definitely I've got a Betty Crocker throwback kind yeah, of. Yeah, we have like a lot right. of like pace salsa in our house. No, I don't do pace salsa. You, we've had pace salsa in our house. Yeah. Continue, sorry. All of this is going to make sense in the end. Sure. So with Q, and we won't talk about Gian because you don't want to talk about Gian, right? We're not going to talk about Gian. No, I, I, there's nothing to say about Gian at this particular juncture. Okay. What was interesting to me was that you were in constant contact with like very famous people. Sure. And you were chasing them, pre-interviewing them, shepherding them around town when they came, mm-hmm. often hanging out with them. Yeah. There were certain people who you were like, like Bill Buford. It wasn't, it wasn't just about like, like you were very interested in celebrity and fame. Yeah. But not for its own sake. But not for its own sake. I mean, I was, I was interested in people who were doing good work and I was interested in the type, you know, like Bill Buford is a great example because, you know, I, I've been a fan of his writing for, you know, more than a decade. He wrote one of my favorite culinary memoirs ever called Heat. And when I met him, he was like the world's best guy. And I was like, oh, how do you become the world's best guy, write one of the best cooking memoirs I've ever read, do a cool book circuit, being a rad dude, having produced a really great piece of art. And, uh, you know, that there was like journalistic and also artistic. And I was like, I wanted on that. I wanted on that grift. So like your, the, your celebrity interest was based on like, it was, it was all recon. It was, well, yeah, it was like, I, it, like was, it was recon and aspirational. I was like, yeah. how, how, you know, because so I, many people are interested in being your celebrity so they can brag about it or, or just sort of like, 
it, yeah, you know, no, it was fire. But you're like actually like. Give me some pointers. Well, it was like, I I think that you get to the point when you, you know, you're at a party and everyone's talking about, like, if it's the the year of Deadwood, everyone's like at the party talking about how amazing Deadwood is. And then you're, you know, at the party where everyone's talking about how amazing Six Feet Under is or Breaking Bad. And I was like, I would much prefer to not be at the party and be doing, hopefully at some point, the work that at some point down the line, maybe when I'm 60, people are like, man, Catherine Burrell wrote that a cool thing that everyone at the party is talking about. That old lady, Catherine Burrell. That old Burrell. tree. <laughs> that fat old lady <laughs> did that cool thing when she was sick, you know, like that. Yeah, yeah. It, that just became of interest to me instead of, instead of, you know, being the secondary or the tertiary in my case, which was like, you know, you had, and you, you were the one who broke that down for me. It's like, you've got the creative primaries who are making the books and the paintings and the television and the films. Right. You've got the creative of secondaries who are, you know, the Gian Gameshi role, which is the person who is interviewing the person about their creative pursuits. And then you had me, the creative tertiary, writing the scripts for the person who was going to talk to the creative right. primary. And then you had quaternaries like me who were like Googling like, oh, there's an interview with this Bob Odenkirk from 1997. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you don't haven't read it? You're, I don't trust go you anymore. kill yourself now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but your role, Graham, like, you're like... You, kind of like uncomplicated and like I want to be like Bob Odenkirk like that's my my goal is to be like yeah, a yeah. comedy writer or an on camera comedy presence and your thing was kind of like you found a way to be very close Catherine to famous people interact with them in a way that was like let's talk about your work and then they come to town and you'd be like hey let's get a drink and you would carry on correspondences with them afterwards but I think it was kind of like this kind of hard lesson to you of like that there wasn't upstairs downstairs to it all sure that like you could be around them they could have conversations with you yeah they're not gonna be like Here's the golden ticket, kid. Yeah, like, <laughs> you've, you've shown me that you should be me. No, no, I mean, God, like, I, I don't know if I ever actually felt that way. Uh, I, I never, yeah, there was probably like a, at some point in my late 20s where I had this, the misguided notion that, you know, someone that I met would be like, come and be my assistant and I'll teach you everything I know. Like, But, but that's even like, that, like, Lady Gaga's assistant isn't the next Lady Gaga. No, Lady Gaga's <laughs> assistant is, Lady, is, is like the next Lady Gaga's assistant no, after like, Lady Gaga <laughs> falls out of favor. No, like, Yeah, Lady Gaga's assistant is the next. Steven Spielberg's assistant. You know, yeah. Like, it's like... Yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. Track no, like, I, I think I... And in a way, I feel like that's actually what prevented me from going crazy when we first moved to L.A. was I knew that the proximity to fame... And again, it's not even that I wanted fame. I just wanted, I, all I've ever wanted to do was be paid to write. When I say I am a writer, I just want to be like, I always got paid to write. And That's horseshit. All you wanted was to be paid to write? I think you have, you are so yeah, much yeah. hungrier than that. That's yeah, yeah. such bullshit. Totally agree. I mean, come on. <laughs> totally, like, totally, totally agree. Totally agree. Oh, like, you probably had like if, thoughts of like, I could be Lady Gaga. You know, no, like, that's, no, that's not no, true. I'm saying, I'm saying like weird thoughts. Like, I have a, uh, Send up comedian friend who's like a, I wanted to be a recognized he's like a, writer. I'm gonna have like a, to kill he's myself like a after guy this interview. And he's like, he confessed to me. He was like, I kind of like realized I wanted to be Daniel Craig. <laughs> you know, it's really just like, <laughs> like, that's really what I want. In, in Go your, on. I want to be Steve McQueen. <laughs> and it was like a really honest thing for him to to confess. But like, uh, you know, I don't think you're being that on. You know. Like, I don't think you wanted to be famous for the sake of being famous or, you know, I, I think it did matter to you what you were making. There was, there, I, okay. Very much. So, so, so you know, my it's very good. Where I, I don't think it's actually enough for anybody who pursues that. Like the stories about Peter Zowski being crazy or like, 
you know, he got to interview everybody. But Peter Zowski, when people who've met him talk about him, were like, he was fucking nuts, you know, like, yeah, uh, because he got so close to the the source and never got the to be the source, you right, know? right. So I think that like, you but can that's that, that's like this. an enduring role that yeah. fame is not, you right? Know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Letterman has lasted longer than every like president, you know, like yeah. he's gotten to interview all these presidents, and but. But Letterman's reign has not ended, you know, so it does, it can be superior to Neither has Charlie Rose's. I mean, you, you, like, you can become a celebrity journalist, definitely. Mm -hmm. But maybe not, maybe not in But, but like, David Letterman is, like, he is a comedian and and an artist comedian. I think Charlie Rose is really great at his job and really great at asking questions. I don't think that, like, Charlie Rose, uh, like, I don't think he is an artist. I don't even give a shit about who is an artist yeah. and who is not. And if if, I, if anyone ever catches me calling myself an artist, I would like someone to fucking execute me in the street. Cause, don't do that. Because I just because like, I really do because I, I really just do. Once a week, I, you like accidentally refer to yourself. No, as an I, that is not true. I definitely don't do that. But no, I mean, I'm interested in like being a, a really hard worker. And, and in a, in a way I would love like my ideal situation is, you know, I'm sitting at a restaurant eating and someone's like, Hey, you're Catherine Burrell. You want to be rudely interrupted. I want to be like rudely interrupted, but like once, uh, every couple of months by yeah, someone being like, you're, you're like, I mean, what did Lou Reed, what's the lyric? I wanted all of it. Like Sheila wrote about you that you're a person who lives without her clothes on. Mm-hmm. Your, your ambitions are so naked and bold. Yeah. And it's not to be reductive about it or to make it base. I think you absolutely want to be regarded as a genius artist. I think you're absolutely, like, <laughs> yeah. you desperately yeah. want that. <laughs> no, but like you, you know, talk about like these things you want, and those are like those are the things you aspire to want. Is that what everyone wants? I no, mean, no, no, Jesus no, but you Christ! Aspire like, to want something healthy. You know, like, oh, I, I just wish I could, like, want, a, like, a blue-collar existence as a writer. But what you actually want is this, like, kind of sublime King Louis the Sixteenth crazy. No, no, no. I want to, <laughs> like, like, basically not wait in a line. Like, that's what I want. I want to well, write. I want to make an okay amount of money. And then I want I want to have, like, at some point, somebody to be like, I want everyone in the line to be like, who the hell, why is she getting in before us? And, and, so and the velvet, and then the, yeah, like I want everyone to be mad at me as someone like, yeah. just open the velvet rope and everyone's like, why is that shithead getting into the club? And I'm like, you don't know. What? This, goes, this goes beyond actually me saying like, you're a bureaucrat. I actually think you're like a fascist. <laughs> it was like, and the CBC building trains you to thinking fascistically because that building is such a, like monument of like, right, our, right. you know, it's just sort of like you are small. The institution is large. Yeah, you're you, like, yeah. Uh, so I, I think you know between that and your hotel upbringing, you're kind of like. So you think I, I took like an oppositional stance based on me always being part of a very large institution? You distinguish yourself from the plebs in this way. That this interesting. Ah, oh, come on. Oh, you know, and you were, and you were working for somebody who basically like the conceit was he didn't want the audience to know that you existed. Sure. Yeah, that's definitely true. Right. right. That's you know? true. Yeah. I, I mean, like, yeah, I definitely felt like. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to find like the the analogous like Wizard of Oz reference here, but yeah, definitely. Like, I, um, All I. All of them. You're the lion, the Tin Man, and the that uh, Scarecrow. Was a big conflict in my in the time before I left for L.A. was that I wanted to be recognized, you know, because I I'm a, I guess I'm an egomaniac. <laughs> 
possibly. No, but no, I, I think it's fair to like admit that like I just there wanted are many like, of us egomaniacs. I mean, I just wanted to like be recognized being... for the portion of like the the part <laughs> that I played in there. I just wanted, I just wanted. Like you're bargaining with fate. Like you actually want quite a bit. And if you got some of these modest things that you're suggesting, my guess is you would still want more. Yeah. Well, I, I think we like, all believe you, in accumulation to, theory. But you came <laughs> to America because you're like wanting more is like super customary here. Wanting more is great here. Like you get rewarded for wanting more here. And Whereas in Canada, like, I felt like you did not, you weren't rewarded. You were like, don't, don't get too big for your britches, dummy. Yeah, the tall we'll kill you. Thing. And this yeah. is not to say that you had kind of like, like, oh, you're just another person who wanted to be famous. Like while working an insane hour demanding job, you were writing a book in your spit. Like, like yeah. you were kind of like willing to put in the time. Oh God, of course. I mean, Jesus, like, you know, there, there was a, there was a point in 2009, like before my book came out where, you know, I would go to work for like nine, 10, 11 hours a day. And then I would come home, I would take a, a pill of dexedrine and I would go and run the stairs of Casa Loma. And then I'd come home and like edit and write for another like four or five hours. And they were, so you were also engaging in like physical narcissism where you're like, I want to look good. Well, you, just, and this, also well, I feel like, I feel yeah. like <laughs> this is an ambush. <laughs> look, it's you invite ambush. You're more fun than me. <laughs> uh, it's, seeing me on the defense is no, is it really unpleasant because I just leave. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you like stick up for yourself, so it's well, great. kind. Well, since I've known you, there was like a series of goals. It was like I don't want to be at Metro Morning. I want to be at this other show. You achieved that, right? And the show was a wild success. Right. And then it was like I don't want to be tertiary. I want to be primary. I'm going to write a book. Mm-hmm. And you wrote a book. It was about as successful as a Canadian comic memoir can get. Can yeah. get. It was nominated for the Leacock and did not win it. Right. <laughs> but it's like, as a first effort, it's like, that suggests like, oh, you, you, you are now a primary and not a tertiary. Sure. You can write the next book and the next book. In between, you could be like a person who is called on to write columns and magazine articles and to, you know, make TV appearances and be funny. Okay. And you could have like a Canadian existence as a, there is still a role for a funny com- com- female Canadian. But I think in Catherine's case, the next book would just be a plateau just be another book yeah you know so she was looking to up one more yeah and like you go like Shonda Rhimes is like a little bit like I mean whatever this this is going to sound stupid and pat but it's like I really am aware of when I've stopped learning in a situation and I know that the only good thing I can do in this life in terms of like uh, work is write because that's all I've ever done and so every time I hit a wall in terms of my my interest in the subject matter that I was writing in or the form itself I tried to do another form so that I could learn something new. I, I, you know, there's that great, like, there's that great Dave Chappelle skit about, uh, you know, Wu Tang Financial, and he's like, you got to diversify your bonds. Like, I always, I always took that as like, right, I've got to diversify my. But that's not how it ended. There was another word in there. I'm yeah. sure of it. <laughs> but it's like, darn I, it, I, I, <laughs> diversify your bonds, fellas, darn it. <laughs> friends, <laughs> buddies. I am interested in like making sure that there's a diversified enough skill set. There, so that I'm never like left a diversified skill set. No, that's not. Your oh, you're so like, full of shit. Get, your motive is just like you're a mountain climber. You know, we still have the fucking gear in the closet. You're like, you just want to do the next thing. That's fair. You know, like you. Everyone's gonna hate me. Like I already no, feel like no. all of your listeners are gonna be like, like everyone's gonna hate me so much. I, that, thanks for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> As someone who's please like you, me. you sort of achieved something, and then I was really perplexed because you kind of abandoned it. You, you, you what know? did I? What did I achieve? You what, achieved like, like a certain kind of like stature as a as a published author of humorous. Nonfiction in Canada, right. a perch from which you could continue to do more of the same. Right. And you were like, not interested. 
you know, and, and, and you sort of involved yourself in a completely other world of like, now I'm interested in comedy and comedy writing for television and television writing, drama whatever, writing whatever chips. I mean, drama. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know what it was, was like, I think I listened to what I was consuming and comedians you and com- and I was, I really liked a lot of comedians. <laughs> no, but like, I think that I, you know, I was listening to what I was consuming and in the early two thousands and mid two thousands, I was primarily consuming, you know, books and, and, uh, you know, comic memoirs and that kind of thing. I, I was raised on radio. I consumed a lot of radio before I got into radio. I consumed a lot of the types of books that I, you know, the book that I wrote, I consumed a lot of that form before I wrote the book. Um, and then, and then I listened to myself in my late twenties, early thirties. And I was like, I love television. I, all I want to do is like yeah. sit down and, yeah. you know, like blitz you out like on breaking bad or whatever. Swingers. You, you work so hard to get into a party. You arrive to the party and be like, that's Ugh, this bullshit. Anyhow. Yeah. 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 Cause yeah. once you arrive at a, it's the whole thing. Once you arrive to a, an event and you're like, Oh, this isn't that special. What's still special to yeah. me? And uh, that's why... The uh, next shit. The next yeah, shit. Yeah. The next yeah. shit. To the idea that you're just sort of climbing for the sake of climbing, each progressive step, the step from Metro Morning to Q was more of an honest gesture towards who you are. The step from producing for Q to writing your own book was like, like it, there is a trajectory that seems like a path of truth. And It's you're, not you're arbitrary. Getting, no, like, but you're getting increasingly honest with yourself where, you know, as for so many people... What they do is they start from a place of like where they hope to be, but don't understand the steps that are required from A to B, and as a result, never make it to B. Because mm-hmm. they're sort of like, I want to be like, of you know, you think about all the things Nora Ephron did before she became Nora Ephron. Sure. Uh, most people are just like, I want to be Nora Ephron, and then they just shuck and jive trying to be Nora Ephron, like writing the movie that she wrote once she was great. But they don't go through the Forgetting steps. Forgetting that she like was a journalist for a really long time yeah. and then was offered I mean, a I column know. and then she rejected yeah. the column because she yeah. felt that she wasn't ready. And I know so many like actors in Toronto who want to be stars but are not willing to even audition for a commercial to pay their bills. So as a result, they're just working some job, you know, and they ultimately... Uh, languish there. They can't. They can't put their vanity down. They can't humble themselves and like yeah. make their bones. Yeah. I just yeah. always wanted to make sure that I had enough money to live on. Like that, that, and that. Like this is genuine, and you guys can like shoot me down if you want to, and, and call right. bullshit on it, which you will in a moment, I'm sure. But like, I felt like. I always knew how I could get enough money to live. And like, and it wasn't just like pay for my apartment. It was like, you know, pay for the stupid amounts of wine that I wanted to buy every week and pay for the dumb dinners that I wanted to like, uh, treat my friends to and that kind of thing. And I always felt like I knew how to, um, monetize my creative predilections in a way that matched what I wanted to spend on myself and my pals and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And so that, and I mean, that's like magic. I mean, if you're like, I can, yeah. I can conjure myself and my words and my thoughts into money for my appetites. You no, know? I, mean, it's, it's, I always wanted to have enough money for my appetites and my appetites have always world. been great. And the that's it. Thing like, in the world is the practical artist. They're like, it's such a, they're, these two words don't go together very often because mm-hmm. usually people are like, I'm just like painting a smile and hopefully it'll go for a million dollars one day you know and it's like uh, and, and so many people just wait in that moment and sometimes people launch from zero to a hundred and it works and everyone's like see and yeah. they model their lives after this crazy abstract like goal I want to know who but you can, that smile you know what I mean though. you know like the kind of like you, you see yeah, yeah, people yeah. like 
who just jumped from zero to a hundred, and you're like, like, yeah. Keila in a lot of ways did that. She was sort of like, that is no, no that's totally. But there was like ten years. No, there was ten years. No, she's a she's a terrible. She's example. weird because you know she, Sheila Hetty had a kind of instant successful debut with mm-hmm. middle stories. Like she, right, right, no, right. but it, that's not true. She wrote the she middle stories from person. the age of fifteen to twenty four. Like but she didn't do like this is what like I, I think most of my friends are modeled after the Sheila Hetty uh, model of of success, which is like. Become great. Just be great until someone finds you. Be great. Being great. But what you did was like, I'll do what I got to do in the no, middle. She, no, no, no. I, I feel like super uncomfortable with even like talking about Sheila that way because she is literally the world's hardest worker. So no, it's yeah. like there was not like she was no, she no, was. I, I'm uh, saying magicked you know, into a, a, a no, vaunted no, position. Like were like uh, you know kind of in the holding pattern, waiting to become great are they're hard workers they're not lazy they're like working hard they're doing like four shows a week doing stand-up everywhere they can go but they're not doing the middle steps and this is a distinction in terms of like two approaches and they're both fucking totally work which is like you can just be who you're gonna be and wait till the world notices or you can like make do and take like sort of a blue collar approach and you know work your way through the system and make a living because like when you were working at the cbc you're around this whole artist community. Most of us were all like totally impoverished and we just couldn't pay our bills. And you're like, I could buy everybody dinner. You weren't buying, you're buying everybody dinner at sneaky D's or whatever. It wasn't like you were buying like $2,000 dinners. You had like a $50,000 income. You know, it's not like you were like a crazy baller. You were just a baller relative to everybody else who is fucking, I'm one of those people fucking broke the whole time, you know? You, you had, like, a, a very admirable work ethic. Like, it was always very important to you to kind of, like, be institutionally recognized and, like, be, like, gainfully employed. Yeah, and, yeah. But, th- but that's funny. I only ever wanted to be the subject of Destiny's Child independent woman. That's all I ever wanted. <laughs> but it's so funny to hear you bargaining with like your, your dreams now. Like even back then you were like, guys, if I get like, if I sell the film rights to my book, I'm totally taking all of us on a trip to the Dominican Republic. <laughs> the Dominican Republic. <laughs> <laughs> to a, the sneaky D's of vacation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. All inclusive cappuccinos for free. Uh, yeah. That but, had to do more with like the fact that I feel like I've, I've, I've always wondered about my value as a person so I was like maybe I can keep all my friends by the promise of me buying them a trip to the Dominican Republic at some point Graham's raising an interesting thing which is like a comedian is sort of like dedicated to the craft honing it and, and working for years to get your five minutes it was always much more scattershot of like what exactly is it that you're driving at if there was an opportunity to like host for Vice TV you're like I'll try that out Sure. You know, it, like whatever, like whatever came up, you would give it a shot. My mo was always like, say yes to every opportunity that falls into your lap. Like it, it, it's the improv game. It's just like never say no and see what happens. And you were I, like a bizarre rabid unicorn at the CBC. Like you were so nice. strange in that environment. You played by your own rules there in a way that would have gotten so many people fired instantly. It was like, she's incredibly inappropriate and foul-mouthed and sexual and just like culturally out of step, yet she's sort of like our most productive worker who books the most stuff and gets the most gets and writes the best copy. We like how could we get rid of her and she's well liked, but it's but there's like a liability issue of like <laughs> <laughs> what lawsuit is gonna originate from this. And like they were just like in a state of 
constant Did like they really want to get rid of you or to, like I don't think that anyone wanted to get rid of me I mean I definitely got like wrapped on the knuckles no, no, for my I, behavior I, yeah. I think you made people very very nervous I think that I, I made, don't th- and I don't think you ever had an enemy who was trying to get rid of you and, and I can't say that about myself right like uh, but I think you made people very nervous it was just a complete culture clash of who you were and what that place was yeah I feel like I was I feel like I was doing a, a tightrope thing Possibly. But like, again, you know, I was also like very young. I started working at the CBC when I was like 23 years old. So uh, like what else? I was, I was just doing what I thought was correct. And I I don't know, again, like I I feel like I was, I definitely was without guile during those years. Like I wasn't, I wasn't planning to be like this crucial member of the CBC community who was, you know, saying, uh, making a terrible fist fucking joke in the middle of a story meeting and being like, this is my cred. Like they can't fire me because who else is going to say this shit? I was just kind of like, I don't know. I was making it up as I went along. But like, as most of us are doing, I think when we're in our early to mid twenties, when we have like the hubris of youth and, and we, Mm. you know, are excited about stuff. Sitting cross-legged in my uh, bachelor apartment. In your brown corduroy suit. Plotting the future. (laughs) Like I I generally don't think I, that a lot of us are actually out there sticking our necks out and doing things. And I think people are like, continuing the mentality of being in university which is like I'm a person in a state of pure potential and you know imagining yourself but you're right like, and then trying to reconcile that with like what is with and like, when you're yeah, like, being like I can't afford like, a falafel oh shit <laughs> you know? so you're like you had by virtue of having kind of like not less self-esteem but like you were less self-aware were then had you're kind of in a better position generally because those of us who are just like, I'm a movie star. Nobody knows it yet. There's so many people like this or, or whatever. I'm a blank star and no one knows it yet. They're sitting there and they, they're like, their lives contradict it directly. But you were like, I'm a rock star who is... No, uh, I think you know. that it has to do with the fact that... I apologize that, like, for using the term rock star. No, that's awful. Yeah, no one wants to hear that term in 2013. It should be ninja. <laughs> yeah, or, or, uni- or unicorn or robot. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean... Uh, you know, and, and like not not to bring it back to like my my you know initial formative trauma, but it's like you know I had a bad car accident where I erased a life in two thousand and one. I became after after I got out of my depression from that, I became hyper aware of how fucking absurd you you accidentally killed a guy. I accidentally killed somebody, and I feel like uh, once again once I got out of that depression, I was like this is ridiculous. Like we, we can we can be erased so quickly because yeah, I did that to somebody. Too seriously. They'll let us like not really look look too hard at what we're doing because it's it's absurd. And I feel like that's been a guiding principle for me. Yeah. It's just like But it's it's such a you're so odd because it's this weird mixture of like a demand to be free and to live life on your own terms and also a demand to be judged and it's sort of like you're not exactly like Kurt Vonnegut's kid who went to raise goats in Jamaica you know like you still are engaging in the world like and expecting and even even seeking out places that are very judgmental very judgmental like seeking systems that are like CBC like the list of who who, who's staff and who's not and who's in and who's not but you even kind of like outgrow your judges and, and you're like I don't want to be judged by the CBC's terms anymore. I'm going to be judged by the literary world's standards. Right. Yeah. And then at a certain point, you're like, the Canadian literary world? Who are like, you to judge me? Right. And then you came here to Hollywood, right. which is sort of like the, er, like, 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 <laughs> like here is where they really judge. Yeah. These yeah. are the judges. And, and like, you've kind of like chosen a life where you are splaying yeah. yourself out for judgment, pitching these these very personal stories. You know, you're seeking God and your fellow man. That's about what you're <laughs> up to. 
Because you, in the moment of your accident, were like, I became, you know. <laughs> I think that we're friends in a sense because, like, I'm incredibly judgmental and you, you dig it. Oh, no, I mean, like. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. No, I mean, you know, definitely. That like, uh, uh, explains my relationship with her in a huge way, you know. For like, sure. You're like. No, I, like, I, I, I surround myself with, like, intelligent people who are discerning and who will, like, rake me over the coals when I, I deserve it and I even when I don't deserve it. Intelligence like, comes secondary to the judgmental thing, like, you know, to take to take you and I down a notch simultaneously, which is like that we're like, it's not that we're intelligent. It's that you just like that you pass through whatever filter. Sure. We have clearly laid out in front of the world. Yeah. And we talk about probably a ton. Yeah. So. I just want, yeah, I want to, I want to be a, a, a part of the club where the people who are making the club are like, yeah, but now the club rules have changed, so you're out. You know, like I, I'm, I'm interested in. You in, saw the what's her name's Oscar speech where like they like me, they really, really like me, and you're like, she nailed it. <laughs> I did not say that when Anne Hathaway said that. It wasn't Anne Hathaway. Well, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. Oh, yeah, there was that was like a reference to. The, oh, that was oh, a reference. Yeah, that's right. That was a geez. reference to whose? It was some awful. It was annoying. so was terrible. It? Sarandon something. I mean, not not Susan Sarandon. No, it wasn't Susan Sarandon. Ryan, no. Some dewy eyed. Uh, she's still famous. I don't know. It's not Goldie Hawn. It was something. No. Let's just Google it. Anyway. Wait, but how did I relate to that? You were like, in my mind, you're like, she's right. They like her. <laughs> you know, and you're, you didn't but say I mean, like, God, oh, I what folly. You know, you said, uh-huh. I don't think I ever said anything. I think I was like, that speech sucks. I hope that I never am in front of a microphone and say anything that stupid in front of the Academy. <laughs> <laughs> who you hope Sally finally. Field Sally Field. Field that's right yeah but I feel like if, if ever you got like a, a full and pure validation from me you would lose all interest in my judgment and you'd be like oh I got into that club what's what's a better club no like you're when the the greatest compliment you ever gave me was when I got nominated for the Leacock and you were like congratulations I'm super jealous of you and I was like this is the only time that you've ever admitted you being jealous of me and I was like I like I kept that email for years that I would go back to be like <laughs> I would warm my hands on the embers of that email I was green and like I I, I felt you should know that at that point I yeah no I I I I am uh, very happy that that moment happened in the tenure of our friendship. <laughs> All right. Are we done? Oh, we're done with you. Okay, let's go to Graham. I've been talking too much. All right, that's Canada Land today. I hope you liked it. Tanara Yelland helps me produce this show. Email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. Check out the website, canadalandshow.com. There's a new video up there. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown. The next podcast will be up on Monday. If you like Canada Land, recommend it. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.